All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to look at 1 John. Many of you know where 1 John is. It's in the back of the Bible. And uh, many of you know who wrote this. This is John the Apostle. And many of you know that he's in his, well into his 90s, and so he's expressing to us certain things in his writings, all of them. He brings out uh, the truth of love, light, and what else is it? Love, light, and what's the other L? Life and light. Life, light, and love. Those are the three things that he constantly weaves into his letters. We know that Paul, in his letters, always weaves in faith, hope, and love. And so I want to talk to you about that subject of love, and he's expressing it here, and we can see it in the text. And I, I want you to have your pens ready, because you're probably going to be thinking about things that you want to write down. And many of you um, know that uh, sometimes the Lord will work in a, in a message, and you'll say, well, this is something that I see here. And so write those things down. You're welcome to do that. I don't mind you having pens and paper. I was in a service one time with a pastor. Put your pen down. Look up here. You know, he, he demanded the attention, you know. And I don't, I don't care about that. You could be writing somebody else right now, maybe a letter, or, you know, about how cold it is here or something. And many of you are looking at your, maybe you're looking at your, your, um, your phone or something. But it's interesting when we're talking about the love of God, because the love of God is different than what you think sometimes. The love of God brings us to the place of really knowing who he is. I was telling other people as I was preparing for the message, if I could just use one word that would define God, that would be love. Because of what the scriptures say about God, and how much he loves you and I, and how much the Bible says concerning it, I think it's interesting that as we think about love and God's love, God, God's love acts uh, it moves forward. Um, there is action involved with the love of God. And so when we're talking about real authentic love, there has to be action with it. it. I've said this before that many times what you do is when you say that you love someone and don't do anything to show that love, then you're the only one that benefits from that feeling. Um, a lot of times love is, is something that will involve action, and that's what God's love is. It's full of action. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, uh, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, when we're talking about God's love, we're talking about how he acts as far as moving forward. But God's love also attracts, because if we think about what the Lord Jesus Christ asked us to do, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so what I would say is that God's love is action, but God's love is also attraction. And so when we look at the proper love of God in somebody that attracts us, and we say, I think that's authentic love. That's true love of God in that person. It doesn't involve with how they look and maybe perhaps the car they drive or what they've done for us. You just can see that person has a love for God and has a desire to be able to not just act, but also has that desire to attract and so be able to point us to God. Also, God's love abides, doesn't it? You know, it endures, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but 
But God's love abides. And so if we're talking about the love of the New Testament and the love of God, we're talking about how his love abides for us. And I don't think you can have uh, the love and then not love somebody later on. Well, I used to love them and so on. That's not the love of God. That's uh, man's love. That's more like uh, phileo love, uh, kind of an understanding of, of not a divine love. And so when we're talking about this subject and looking over these verses, I feel like it was important for us to look at the, the longest verse in this particular portion of Scripture. No, it's actually the shortest verse, verse number 8. Look at it with me again. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. So this verse really is simply conveying the fact that knowing God is to love. And so when we're talking about experiencing God, and God will reveal himself to you at times. And when he reveals himself to you, there is a purpose for that revelation. You know, your, your eyes are open now. You understand that there is a God. And so he does want us to, to trust him. And so when, when we're going through difficult times and we experience this time where God reveals himself to us, he's revealing himself to us for a purpose. And that purpose is to understand what he's doing. And many times we have plans. Maybe you have some right now. You were thinking, man, if my plans come out, it's going to be just awesome. That's what you're thinking. When God is saying, wait a minute, with your plans, I've got a purpose. And if you want to lay your plans aside and let me use you in my purpose, you'll find real enjoyment. It's just the way it is. A lot of times we get confused in all this and thinking, well, if I just had what I wanted to do, if I had all these plans going on, I'd be happy. But I thought it was interesting because we're talking about if anyone who doesn't love doesn't really know God. Now, there's a fake love. Sometimes there's an emotional thinking, you know, we'll do this and so on. Some of the politicians are real good with this. They'll say, well, we're going to be compassionate and give so-and-so this amount or whatever. And really behind them is deceit. There is a trick going on, and many times they'll use their particular love to bring forth their agenda, their agenda, and they're really not loving the people. Remember that the tender mercies of the wicked are going to be cruel, okay? Remember that. But love it really is the interpreter of God. And so when we're talking about an authentic love from above, it actually helps us understand who God is. Someone said this years ago. It is vastly easier to affirm the negative of a proposition than to approve its affirmative. What I mean in that is that perhaps in this one statement, we can understand that outside of the Bible, there is no little conversation that demonstrates the existence of God outside of the scriptures. It is hard for a world that has become so materialistic to think outside of that which is seen to comprehend the unseen living in a world that's so sensual and materialistic, they're thinking that's all that it actually is, is what's here and now. He who is conditioned uh, of all reasoning cannot be reached by our reasoning. We have to go back and remember that God will reveal himself through his word. The average person today finds it hard to prove God and, 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 and very easy to deny his existence. If you talk to someone, they're always wanting to argue with you about God. They know that God is there. And I told some people last night that even when I meet an atheist, I say, you're lying to me. 
because they know down deep in their hearts that there is a God. And so positive proof, however, has this on its side that, that, that no negative can ever be proved. In order to deny truth, you must possess divine attributes. Think about that. Because there are people out there that deny God and they deny the truth of God's word. And they are individuals that say then that they must possess some kind of divine attribute to deny truth. So in order to deny truth, one must be omnipresent and have explored all of the galaxies of space as well as all segments of time. He would have to be omniscient and have the capability of understanding all things. And this is crazy because there is only one who can claim these, claim these attributes, and that is God himself. He is the only one that can claim these attributes. And no one can understand God or his love without the Holy Spirit illuminating within. We need the divine enlightenment that comes from God through his Son, Jesus Christ, and through his Spirit. The Bible tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish unto him. Neither can be known, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But I'm talking to the person who God began to move, and, and it's his business, by the way, and he's in the business of revealing himself to men and women. God desires for men and women to know God, and he has shown you himself at times. I think about how that God uses difficult times in our lives to reveal himself to us. Things that we can't explain, things that we don't understand. Why did this happen? Why, why this is confusing me? Confusing me enough to say that there must be some God out there that knows what he's doing. Remember that what the Bible says in Isaiah 55, verse number 8, that his thoughts are not our thoughts, and our thoughts are not like his thoughts. If you think about that, our thoughts are beneath God at times. He knows what they are. But our God is in heaven, and he knows that our thoughts are weak, but his are strong. And so many times we look at certain hymns and the writers of it, and we can see that that, that's, that song just seems to connect to your heart. And I was listening and, and, and reading about a song uh, the other night, and the song was, Oh, Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Wow, what a song. And I began to do a little bit of a research on it because I love the words of it. It connects to my heart because I've gone through difficult times, and you probably have too. But uh, So I, 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 I researched it a little bit. I want to read to you a segment concerning the, the, this particular song. Many hymns writers say they struggle when composing a hymn text and revising and tweaking it until the meter and the choice of images are exactly right. Others conceive the hymn as a whole and transmit it to paper as quickly as they can write it down. In the case of, O love that will not let me go, a mystical experience inspired the creative process. George Matson. 1842 to 1906, and so um, he's been gone over a 100 years, but it provides for us with an account of, of the origins of one of the most beloved hymns of the late 19th century, that hymn, of course, Oh, the Love That Will Not Let Me Go. He writes this, My hymn was composed in the months of 
in Nellen, in other words, a location, one evening on the 6th of June in 1882 in England, of course. Something happened to me which was known only to myself and which caused me the most severe mental suffering. The hymn was the fruit of that suffering, and it was the quickest bit of work I'd ever did in my life. I had the impression, rather, of having it dictated to me by some inward voice than of the working of it myself. So I'm quite sure that the whole work was completed in five minutes. Being equally sure, it never received at my hands any retouching or correction since it's been written. I have no gift, no natural gift of rhythm, and all other verses I have ever written are manufactured articles, but this came like a day spring from on high, and I have never been able to gain once more the same fervor in verse. And I just want to read to you the first verse. It says, O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee, I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths it flow, may richer, fuller be. In other words, if I lay my life down, God is going to give me then really my existence of why I'm there. Isn't this when the Lord Jesus was saying, if you would deny yourself, pick up my cross, you'll find out really, you know, and if you're going to try to save your life, you're going to lose it? Isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ was saying? I think we go back to this understanding. He goes on further. This hymn was published in 1882. Um, and though so, so many have speculated, we are not sure of the cause of the intense suffering of, uh, of the author that led to the composition of this hymn. But it was first published in Scotland in the monthly magazine in January of 1882. Some say it was 1883. And soon afterwards, it was in a Scottish hymnal in 1885. Oh, the love that will not let me go. Is it in our hymnal? I don't know if it is or not. I think it is. Yes, this is affirmed. And so, so though, though nearly blind at the age of 18, Mathens, Matheson, or Matheson became a brilliant student at the Glasgow University. He never married, and his sister Greek, Latin, and Hebrew to help him through his theological studies. And she also helped with his pastoral responsibilities. He served effectively as a minister in a parish in Glasgow, Scotland, and in 1886 became the pastor of a 2,000-member church, the St. Bernard's Parish Church in Edinburgh. In Edinburgh. Matheson authored several books on theology. He was a successful writer it's interesting that it talks about this particular song and tells us that many people have been flickered, flickered in their own souls and they've been ignited because of one man's work on just a song. Oh, the love of God that will not let me go. So thinking about that this morning, I want to look at your text and remember that God is in the business of revealing himself to you. And sometimes he does it by letting you know how much he loves you. Everyone is looking to be loved. Everyone wants to be accepted. Sometimes we go to extremes to try to get that taken. taken. Sometimes people begin to be insecure in their approach. But I want you to know that your God in heaven loves you. And he's done everything he can for you to understand that love. And in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, I see, first of all, 
the indispensable virtue of love in 7 through 9. We see the source of love in verse number 7 where it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. So the Bible's basically giving us some evidence that if you've been born again, you're going to truly love people. It's not going to be about you. It's not going to be about how you feel all the time. It's not going to be about how much you can get out of this life. It's going to be about loving people and having that same kind of love that the Lord Jesus Christ. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. What an incredible thought. The source of love, verse number 7. Verse number 8, he that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love. This is the sign of love. So we have the source of love, and we have the sign or the evidence of it. Then we see the supply of love in verse number 9. We say, in in, in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And so we have an understanding that God loves us, and that supply of love is actually shown uh, because of how much he gave when he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. What a beautiful understanding. And there are more hymns concerning this particular thought. I wrote another one down here, Wayne Hudson, an author of Many a Tear Has to Fall. And he wrote this, when someone says, I don't love you anymore, it shakes you to the very core. It caused me to ponder the true meaning of love as never before. After many years, I arrived at the only definition that makes any sense. Since God is love and we must compare our love to him, we come up short if we define it any other way. For we see in the final analysis, love is a commitment with a beginning that has no end. I love that. Love is a commitment with a beginning that has no end. And so Christ chose to love us, and he has never stopped loving us. He never will stop loving us. We should be very careful with the word like love. Are we willing to make that kind of commitment and tell him, I love you too, Lord. It's the beginning without an end. I think about weddings when I think about that. Because I just saw that the math, uh, Tim, Tim Matthews' daughter got, say, got uh, not saved, she got married, uh, I think it was yesterday. And uh, they're putting all the pictures on, and, and what, a, what a sweet understanding of weddings, Right? And how beautiful it is, because when you're, when you're talking about loving that person unto the end, you're talking about loving them, you're saying, I do. And again, it's not just an intellectual thing, and it's not just an affectionate thing. So you're not dealing with just the intellectual and the emotions. You're dealing with the will that you're going to love this person. It's a choice to love. So a person comes down the aisle, and they're walking down the aisle saying, man, I sure got a good one here. I sure made a good decision. I'm thinking... I'm thinking it's an intellectual thing. And then the guy's saying, woo, woo, I really love her. Can't wait to hold her. Can't wait to tell her I love her. You know, can't wait to say, poopsie, whoopsie, I love you. 
Can't wait to have that time where we can kiss each other. I'm serious. It's an emotional thing. It's an intellectual thing. But when we come to the altar, will you? Until death do you part. I will. That's the beginning. It has no end. That's why the, the ring is given to them. They place it upon their finger because the ring has a beginning, no end. It's just goes circular. Helps us to understand a little bit more of that love of God. And so when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about loving God. And by the way, he loves us endlessly. Is not my love for you eternal? I mean, he told Jeremiah that my love is forever and I will love you forever. God tells us in his word that he loves us. Didn't he tell us that even while we were yet sinners, he loved us? God commended his love toward us and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did he not say that nothing shall separate you from the love of God? Doesn't the Bible tell us that this love is eternal, that God will love us, and nothing can separate us from that love? You see, when we're talking about God's love, we're talking about abiding in his love, a love that endures, a love that stays, a love that acts and attracts and continues to endure through difficult times. That's God's love toward us. But then we must be steadfast in his love, steadfast in his faith, Steadfast, of course, in his joy. Steadfast, of course, in his hope. But steadfast also in his love. And so when we're talking about this, I wanted you to mark down a few more things. Knowledge of anything is incomplete without love. You've got to add love to that. We were talking about a woman who was part of our ministry here that's been asking for help recently. So I told Tammy, I said, I think we can do that, honey, don't you? She says, yeah, I think we can do that. Send her something that will help her. And we'll do it out of love. Because when she sat up here in the front row with her husband many times, I went to see him at their home and told him I loved him and I prayed with him. Uh, That love for that family has never stopped. It continues. God's love continues for you. Right now, he loves you more. You ever say that to someone? I love you more. Prove it. God loves you more. You say, well, I really love God because he's been so good. He's shown you how he loves you. He's provided through the years. I think about that nothing is more futile than knowledge in the mere sense of just learning. And what is your purpose for gaining knowledge if there is no love involved in it? How empty and how vain if we're just looking for knowledge without putting love to it. I think about how that knowledge inflates egos. The Bible says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies, or charity edifies. And just the knowledge can make a lot of hot air, hot air, even a hot air balloon. And it can make a hot air out of a, out of a man instead of a living temple like love will give that person that ability. Knowledge with love 
is essentially uh, in earthly things. I think about it, I mean, it is essential in earthly things, and I think the Bible gives us a clear understanding in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Listen to what it says. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith and so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing. So someone has a craving for only intellectual things, may become dry and insensitive, may gather all the facts, may have all the ability and understand all science, master grammar, do great in a composition, but if he lacks love, he is nothing. One man into the political world, master both social and political history. He may understand how civilizations rise and how empires could fall, and he may understand economics and legislation, and under all of this is useless. He discovers it in his heart, but there is no love. If one would be a lawyer and study civil common laws and the statutes of the state, and if they master legislation under the procedures of the court but have not love, he is nothing. He will not be half good unless his heart reaches his brain. Still, if one plans on entering into the medical world, becomes a physician, he or she can study the human frame and the anatomy and all of the things concerning the physiological person. If he investigates disease and causes and effects and is even buddies with, what's his name? The little man that always gets on and tells us that we need to wear masks. Now two masks. Fauci. You could even know Fauci personally. And can I say this a little bit about that thought? Follow the money. And in symptoms, and if it gains understanding in all therapies and is able to sit down and reason through every single medical problem, but he doesn't have love, he is nothing. And if a pastor is eloquent and skilled, and when he stands in his pulpit and he affirms things and people listen, He memorizes his sermons and he waxes so eloquent. But if he lacks love, he is nothing. Love is the indispensable virtue. You can't exist without love. Love is what makes the world go around. You've heard it. But it comes from a God in heaven who is love. 
and you cannot deny him. And if you do, you will never be loved. That's what bothers me a little bit about our culture we live in today because people think they can live without God. What they're saying is, I can live without love. Oh, you're just going to have to keep giving checks to everybody to make them happy then. So, the second thing I see here in verses 10 through 13 is the incomparable value of love. Verses 10 through 13. Verse number 10 kind of shows us the initiator. Here is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So if we understand that he is the initiator of that love, then we're going to come up with songs like this. There is a name I love to hear. I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ear. The sweetest name on earth. Oh, how I love Jesus. Three times. The songwriter didn't just make a mistake and it wasn't a record that was stuck. I love, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. We see the intention of love given to us is so that we would love one another. You see, love ever gives, forgives, outlives, ever stands with open hands. And while it lives, it gives. For this is love's prerogative to give and to give and to give and to give. And if you feel like you can't give anymore, you can. And maybe you just feel a little bit like God, how he feels now. Because he's been giving it to you over and over and over again. I think about how that the mind has a thousand eyes, the heart but one. But the light of the whole life dies if love remains undone. Then we see the investment of love, 12 through 13. The Bible says, no man has seen God at any time. And if we love one another, God dwells in us. And his love is perfected in us. So it gives us that other evidence now that God's love is being completed. We're maturing in love as we begin to love other people and show how we love them, not just say it. And hereby, we know, I love the confidence of John, that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us his what? Capital S. We have been given the Holy Spirit to live within us. What a blessing. I think about the story I read. A certain medieval monk announced he would be preaching next Sunday evening on the love of God. And as the shadows fell and the light ceased to come through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered in the darkness of the altar. The monk lighted a little small candle of the crucifixion. And first of all, he illuminated the crown of thorns upon the head of Jesus Christ. Then he moved a little further to the wounds in his hands, and then the mark of the spear in his side, and the hush fell on them as he blew out the candle and went home and went to bed. Because he was expressing, this is the love that God has. For God loves us. 
And God's love calls. Remember I said that God commended his love toward us and that we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God's love converts. James chapter 5, verse number, number 20 says, Let him know that he which converts the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. God's love covers. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Comforts, love comforts. The Bible says, blessed be to God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts. In closing, it is an incredible victory, verses 14 through 16. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And we have known and believed that the love that God hath to us, God is love, and he dwells in love, dwells in God, and God in him. And herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear hath torment, and he that feareth is not made perfect in love. See, love has conquered it all. Song of Solomon reads this way, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Set a seal upon thine heart, a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave, and the coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, and neither can the floods drown. And if a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would be utterly contempt. We can only get love one way, and that is to internalize it when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Wow. What I gained at the age of seven. I know now, but I didn't know then. The precious understanding of Jesus living within. And the confirmation that the Holy Spirit gives me through the reading of God's word, that he will not only love me in the beginning, but his love has no end for me. He will love me till I see him. That's why faith, hope, and love in the greatest of these is. Because faith and hope won't be needed in heaven. But you will continue to love. Love, love, love. There is no victory outside of Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think about the song, and many of us sing it, redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through his infinite mercy, his child, and forever I am. It's interesting because as we think about it, One of the verses says, redeemed and so happy in Jesus, no language my rapture can tell. I know that light of his presence with me doth continually dwell. I think of my blessed Redeemer. I think of him all the day long. I sing, for I cannot be silent. His his love is the theme of my song. That's what the songwriter wrote. Understood this love that we talk about. Love needs a home. 
in your heart. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He wrote, to love to all, to love it all is to be venerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in the casket, safe dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable, and the only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all dangers of love is hell. Pretty powerful. And on the other hand, when you open your heart to God's unconditional love, you will love people even if they have imperfections. I read a medical story years ago. This was written by Richard Seltzer, MD. It was a book called Mortal Lessons, and you can imagine all the stories that the doctors would have. I think there's been some stories that I'd like to write out you know, that's happened to me through the years. One of those is when I first became the pastor of this church, I had a farm time with everybody, and I was pretty excited about it, and I had a baptism the next day, and you're talking 22, 20, 23 years ago, probably 22 or 21 years ago, I walked through those doors and walked in and turned the baptistry tank on. Then I got in the bus and went out to the farm, and I forgot that it was on. And this has no way of leaking it out. It it's, probably wasn't installed the best way. And so four hours later, we came to a basement that was full of water. And there was water that was going all the way back toward the doors. I quit. I sat over here and I said, I'm done. I, I don't have the, the mental ability to pastor a church. I don't. This is why I know that God exists. Because he has helped me all of these years. And in times when I wanted to quit were the times I needed to stay at it the best because that baptism needed to happen. And when Satan was laughing and somebody was making a lot of money sucking all the water out of here, God was at work in the hearts of people. Probably the most was in me and showing me how wonderful he is that he could take someone as dumb as me that would just be dumb happy enough to say, okay, I'll be a pastor. And God has, through the years, helped and strengthened. And I think my better days are coming, so hang on. But I think it's interesting as we think about this kind of love. And really, do we really have it? This medical doctor wrote this, I stand by the bed where a young woman lies and her face post-operative. Her mouth twisted in some kind of a palsy, like a clownish look. Tiny twig of the facial nerve. The one to the muscles of her mouth has been severed. And she will be thus from now on. The surgeon had followed with religious fervor, 
the curve of her flesh. I, I promise you that. And nevertheless, to remove the tumor in her cheek, I had to cut that little nerve. Her young husband is in the room. He stands on the opposite side of the bed, and together they seem to dwell in the evening lamp light, isolated from me, private. Who are they? I asked myself. He and his wry mouth I have made. He and this wry mouth that I have made who gaze at and touch each other so generously. Greedy? The young woman speaks. Will my mouth always stay like this? Yes, it will. I severed a nerve. She nods and is silent. But the young man smiles. I kind of like it. I think it's cute. And all at once, I know who he is. And I understand and I lower my gaze. One is not bold in an encounter with God. And unmindful, he bends to kiss her crooked mouth but I kind of watched a little closer than I should. And I watched how he twisted his mouth to reach hers the same way and accommodate. Kind of shows that their kiss was real. His love is the theme of my song. A lot of times when God reveals himself to us, it's time to adjust. And sometimes it's it's time to lay down your plans and say, God, your purpose for my life is far better than my plans. And I will do your will because I love you. My grandpa was a drunk. So was my other grandpa. Till they met Jesus Christ. For some reason, one of my aunts put my grandpa's picture up this last week and I saw smiling Jim. This was his verse. And he hath put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. You see... When God begins to reveal himself to you, you'll understand your purpose in life. My grandpa did. He thought it was to make people smile and laugh and dance and sing. That's what he thought his purpose was in the world. And you had to get drunk to do that, see. But instead, he understood that when you're filled with the Spirit of God, You love to jump up and down and be happy and hug one another and love one another like my grandpa did until he passed away in 1988. He's with the Lord, and I'm going to see him again. And what a reunion that will be because I know that my God loves eternally.
every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, have you experienced his love? Do you know him? You cannot love till you know him. Maybe you know, perhaps in your mind, but you've never received him. The Bible says to all them that received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. And have you received him? I hope you have. Christian, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you did something for somebody else? When was the last time you loved enough to act upon it? You see, that's being like God. It's getting up early in the morning and getting your car warm so you can go pick people up and bring them here so they can learn about Jesus Christ. It's setting aside your fish fry on a Friday night so that you can come and help people know about Jesus Christ and grow in his ways. Doing something for somebody else. Have you been self-absorbed? Listen, you're going to be of men most miserable when you have the Sea of Galilee flowing in and no outlet. You become the Dead Sea. No wadis, no streams, just the barrenness, salt, dry. So maybe God wants you this morning to just lay down everything at his feet and say, here I am, Lord. Why don't you come this morning to an old-fashioned altar and say, here I am, Lord. I've been trying to do it my way. Now I'm going to do it your way. I love you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand to your feet? No one looking around this morning. This is between you and God. And if you need to come, you come. No one will bother you. You can spend time with the Lord. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.